So before I dive into the message uh, today, I just, I want to give you some news before we actually get into the text. Um, if, if you read or you watched our midweek update, um, this is what I was alluding to, this little announcement. Um, and I think it's important before I actually say this, that I start by saying that our church is in a very unique position. In fact, as we were just praying for churches that are struggling, um, I want to just say we are a really healthy church right now. And, and we're, we're a biblical church. We're a growing church that has a beautiful reputation in our community. Um, even amidst this very wild year, we just see God's hand blessing us in so many ways. He's moving among us in, in so many categories. And, and I truly believe that we have a responsibility to steward what God has given us and to, to do something with what God is doing among us. Um, and that leads me to this announcement. Um, we have just been asked by our denominational office here, our district office, to take the responsibility of leadership of Bridgeport Church down at Bridgeport Village. Um, they're experiencing a pastoral transition. Very good friend of mine is the pastor there. And for a number of reasons, including that relational one, um, it was determined that we would help shepherd and, and help move them through and help shape the future of that community of faith. Um, and so I just want you to know about that. Um, they all are finding out on Friday, and you're finding out right now. And I want you to also know that we've met with their staff, and we've met with their church council, their board, and we're beginning the process right now of integrating the two churches and merging for this upcoming season um, while we determine what the long-term plan is for Bridgeport Church. Um, we've made a, a list of immediate strategic steps that we're just sort of pursuing right now, some things that we're following, and, and we're just kind of starting that process. And let me just share this, that um, already in this process, we just see the fingerprints of Jesus all over this, and we know that God is using this. In fact, I really believe um, this is the kind of thing that our church has been equipped to do. I believe the kingdom of Jesus is going to expand because of this, and I believe the larger community that we are placed in, our city and the surrounding area, um, it's going to be a better place in the days ahead because of this. I really believe that. And so next week, as you're watching the service, um, we're going to wel begin by welcoming them joining us during this online COVID season. And, uh, and I just have one request of you right now. One thing, if I could ask, um, would you please dedicate yourself to prayer for this process? Please be praying for your church. Pray that God's hand would be upon us. Pray that this process, that, that we would see Jesus move in mighty ways through this and pray for our staff and, and their staff that we would have incredible wisdom as we move forward in just determining what God has for us. And so just pray those things. I invite you to do that. And, uh, and if you have questions, so do we. In fact, we have more questions and answers right now, but we wanted you to be in the loop on all of this as soon as possible. So, so there it is. It's exciting news. And now we can actually get to the message today. And uh, I want to begin um, by, by saying something about this particular message in this series in the book of Acts that I think is, is important for you to hear. Today's message might actually be one of the more personal messages that we've had through the course of this series. And there's a really good reason why that's the case. Um, the, the Apostle Paul, who we've been tracking with for a while um, through this second half of the book, um, he's about to have a very personal moment with some very close friends. And, and it reveals something about him, choices that he made that resulted in something that I think speaks deeply to who we want to be. He reveals something about his character, about who he is, how he moves through life, that I think speaks to something that we long for. And so we're going to unpack the text in just a moment. But, but let me just say this. If we were to read this in between the lines, I think we would pick up on a statement. We would hear Paul in a very compelling way revealing something about himself, and we would get a sense of who he is. And honestly, um, there is a confidence, there is a certainty that most of us, no matter who we are, we long for this. 
fact, let me just summarize it this way. Um, you can almost hear him say this as we, as we unpack this. You'll, you'll hear the sense of this. I'm where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm okay with my future no matter the outcome. That, that's kind of what we hear from him. Those three things, and you're going to get a sense of this. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I am okay no matter what happens next. And let me just say this. When I look at that, when, when I think about this, when I see a person who lives like this, it is compelling. It's compelling because I think most of us want to be defined that way. We want to know that we're where we're supposed to be. We want to know that we're doing what we're supposed to do. We want to know that we don't have to worry about our future, which is why I find this text personally impactful. And, and, and this, is, this is really the bonus on this. Um, this doesn't just simply reveal that he's this kind of person, but this text also reveals the choices that he made to become that kind of person, and that is a gift to us. That's so incredibly helpful to us, that we not only see this person that has this deep sense of confidence about life, but we actually see the choices that he made that allowed him to be that person. Which means this, if you wanna be that kind of person who is where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to do, and confident about their future, then you have a blueprint in front of you. There's, a, there's an informed process. You can make a decision about that. And so we're going to walk through the text. I'm just going to unpack it first. And then, and then we're going to talk about these decisions that he made. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start reading in verse 16. And it says this. It says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And so Paul was, just so you understand, traveling to Jerusalem. This is happening in the, the previous verses. There's this decision made. He doesn't want to stop in Ephesus, but at the same time, he wants to meet with the Ephesian elders. And then we read this. When they come to him in this city that's a little further south on the shore, we read this in verse 18. It says, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to take a breath because this is a long speech. Then he says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 
And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So he tells them all this, and then we read this, the last part of it. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And then it says, they accompanied him to the ship. Now, when we look at this and we hear what he's saying, the things that he's describing in this very personal moment with these personal friends, we actually see three distinct decisions that he made that allowed him to walk with the kind of confidence that he walked with. And and one of the first things we see is this. Decision number one, he chose to live the God-guided life over the good life. He chose to live the God-guided life over the good life. Now, when, when I say the good life, I'm talking about good life the way that Sears talks about the good life, right? That's what I'm talking about, talking about the good life. It's that, it's that thing that we craft with the, the paintbrush of our imagination where we decide what life could or should be. It's just the way we want them, right? It's built for comfort. It, it's, it's like precisely curated products are all around us. Like everything is just right in our home. It, it's masterfully crafted experiences that give us all the feelings that we want to have. It's everything being just right. Sort of a Goldilocks moment where nothing is too hot and nothing is too cold. That's the good life. And I know when I say that, you know what I'm talking about. It's that good life that people sort of dream about having. Well, um, let, me just, let me just share a, a well-kept secret. The good life is a mirage. Um, and that's been kept a secret because much of our world uses this mirage to influence the decisions that we make and the spending of our money. But it's a mirage. It's not real. And the evidence of that is the number of people who we meet who will wonder out loud, sort of like the talking heads did. They will say, how did I get here? They'll look at their life and sort of say, how did I end up here? Like life will lead them to a point where they'll be standing in the middle of a desolate desert and they'll look at their life. They'll realize there's no meaning to it. And suddenly they'll say, what happened? How did I get here? And usually when that gets asked, what you, what you see is not a cognitive decision to say, oh, I just want to land in this place. What you see is the pursuit of the good life. I, they'll say things like, I was just trying to be happy. I was just trying to do what I thought felt right. Which, by the way, let me just say this, and this is probably a whole other sermon for a whole other time, but how, happiness is an outcome of other things that we do. Happiness is not something, it's not an objective that we are to be pursuing. In fact, most of the time when you and I pursue happiness, it eludes us. Happiness is a byproduct of doing those things that God leads us towards. So, so the point, point is this. The point, again, I could preach a whole other sermon on that. But the point is this. Clearly, Paul is not chasing the good life. Paul's life is a God-guided life. That this journey that he's on towards Jerusalem, this is not the journey that you choose if you're trying to make your life comfortable and good and easy. Like, he has this deep sense that he's revealing, says, Things aren't going to be good when I get there. Like, I have a nagging suspicion this is going to be painful. This is not going to be good. But good isn't the goal. God is the goal. And so he uses this language like, I am constrained by the Spirit. Like, I can't get away from this sense that the Spirit of God is pulling me to this. And maybe you say, well, being constrained doesn't sound like a choice. And in some sense, you're right. 
But Paul also teaches in other places in the New Testament that we have the freedom to ignore the Spirit. We have the freedom to ignore the Spirit. We have the freedom to defy the Spirit. We have the freedom even to grieve the Spirit. So when he uses the word constrain, what he's actually revealing is that he has made the decision to do what the Spirit of God prompts him to do no matter what. I'm constrained because I have already made this decision that I'm living a God-guided life. And so when the Spirit of God prompts me, there is this decision that I have made that no matter what he does, no matter what he says, no matter where he leads, I'm going where he tells me to go. So he finds himself, wherever he finds himself, in a place where he says, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Um, years ago, uh, Sherry and I, we moved to New York City, and we were young, and we had lots of big dreams, and we had God-sized dreams. Um, we, we, we decided that um, we felt like God was calling us to plant 10 churches in five years in New York City. And uh, this is a really long, difficult, and also in some ways very beautiful story. But let me just say that at one point, pretty far into the process, um, everything was going so poorly that we started looking back at our decision to move to the city. It was like, um, who, whose idea was this? Like, we pointed at each other, kind of those moments. You're like, was this your idea? I, I, think, I don't think this was my idea. You know, one of those moments. But I remember very clear as day. I remember one day we were walking, and I remember us just debating, talking about, like, how did we get there? It was one of those moments. And I remember us saying, we know that we know that we know that God took us on this journey. If there was one thing we knew, we knew we had listened to God and we knew, even though the circumstances screamed the opposite, we knew we were following God when we made this decision. And let me just share this. Um, when we made the decision to move here last year, there were people who scratched their heads. There were friends that came to us and said, what are you doing? Like, why would you do this? Because we were pastoring a really wonderful growing church filled with people we loved. Um, we had an amazing circle of friends, truly great friends that were like lifelong friends all around us. Uh, we had recently moved into a wonderful home. Our families, our parents are just around the corner and living with us, our, our extended family around us. You can just go down the list and truly it was the good life. It was the good life. Everything was just the way you kind of would want it to be. But we weren't living for the good life. We're living the God-guided life. And the Spirit constrained us to leave that. Which, by the way, 2020 has given us plenty of reason to look back and wonder, oh, is this a good idea, you know? But we know that we know that we know that we are where we are supposed to be. That's what happens when you let God guide your life. So, so friends, at some point, you have to make the decision, are you pursuing the good life? Or are you pursuing the God-guided life? And, and I can just tell you, the real good life, the real good life is the one that's guided by God. That is absolutely the truth. And so that was Paul's first choice that he made. Now, the second choice that he makes we see in this flows out of that, sort of a byproduct of this, and it's this. Decision number two, he chose to be the servant, not the master. In fact, if you look back at the text, Paul says, listen, he says, you've known me from the first day I showed up. You've known I've had one objective the entire time, and that was to serve Jesus. He says, it's my singular focus. That's all I wanted to do. And I did whatever Jesus told me to do. That's it. That's it. In fact, he literally refers to himself over and over again throughout his life as a servant. And that's really important because I think it clarifies our responsibility in the world. And it brings us to a very simple question that I think we all have to ask ourselves. And that's this. What has Jesus called you to do? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that's the question you have to ask yourself. What has Jesus asked 
you to do. Now, um, some people, they feel like they're responsible to save the world, right? Some people hear that and they go, well, I got to fix all my friends. I got to fix my family. I got to make sure my kids are perfect. You know, I got to solve world hunger. Like some people take all this stuff on. They carry around the weight of these things and they never feel like it's enough. They never feel like they're doing enough. They're always worried about what's happening in the world. Let me just, let me just help some of you in answering this by telling you what he's not calling you to. You are not responsible to save the world. That's not on you. Yes, the world needs saving, and yes, things are broken, but that's not what he's asking you to do. He's not saying, I want you to figure out how to fix this whole broken mess. In fact, that's one way that we can really miss what Jesus is trying to say to us. In fact, in Paul's other writings, um, he, he would say it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said, Moreover, it is required of stewards, or another word for steward is servant, it is required of servants that they be found faithful. I love that language. Um, a servant is not in charge of the whole house. The master is. The, the, the steward, the servant, is responsible to do whatever the master tells him to do with the resources that the master gave the servant in the first place, right? That's what the servant does. And I just want you to notice the, the word that's associated with being a servant. It's the word faithful. Faithfulness is the vocabulary word that we use in the context of service. Is the servant being faithful to the task that the master has given them? About 13, I think about 13 years ago, um, we were, I was working at a church and, uh, and we ran out of office space. And, and I remember that um, I, I made the decision to move in with the oldest member of our staff. His name was Noel Campbell. And Noel um, was from Eugene, Oregon and was living in Spokane with his son-in-law. And, uh, and Noel um, was the prayer pastor at our church. And um, he was, in, in so many ways, he was like the wise man, you know, that was in the house, like all the time. And so um, people thought I was being really selfless when I gave up my office. The truth was, I just wanted to be in Noel's orbit. I just wanted to be with him. And so we moved into off we moved in together. And uh, I remember he let me decorate half the office my way. And then his office was decorated his way. So there'd be people that would come to meet with me and they would see like Norman Rockwell paintings on the wall. And they were like, we didn't take you for a Norman Rockwell guy, but um, we just had amazing conversations. He would come in and he had this uncanny sense for just sort of knowing when things were a little off in my thinking or I was maybe a little bit distracted. And, um, and there was this one particular season where I was wrestling with my assignment and I had fallen into a trap that I fall into. In fact, I think a lot of people fall into this particular trap and it is evaluating your assignment based on your effectiveness or your impact. Like, I wanted to know, where am I most valuable? Like, where am I going to make the biggest impact? That's the way, that's this trap that I will slip into. Like, well, my assignment should be the thing where God leverages my gifts the most, where I make the biggest difference. And so I'm processing with Noel this one particular day, and I'm telling him, like, hey, man, I feel like I'm out of position. Like, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. This isn't the right place. There has to be something different or something better. I don't feel like God's, God's using me effectively. You know, this is kind of the thought that when you take it to its logical point, like, I think God could maybe put me in a different spot, and it would be better. And I'll never forget what Noel just very gently said to me in a very calm demeanor. And, and he just looked at me. He said, well, Brad, let me just ask you two questions. He said, what was the last thing that Jesus told you to do? And then secondly, has he changed that? <laughs> and I just remember sitting there and I just realized, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. 
I just need to look at the last thing that Jesus told me to do. And, and immediately there was this sort of weight lifted from my shoulders and I felt this freedom. It is not for me to figure out the place of greatest impact. That's master vocabulary. The master is the one who decides what the servant needs to be doing. My responsibility is just to listen to Jesus and ask him, where do you want me? And then be faithful to that. Faithful is servant vocabulary. Impact is master vocabulary. And so this is what I've learned. God can accomplish more through a few faithful servants than we can accomplish with thousands of people who want to be masters in a thousand years. Like God can do so much with people who will just say, I just want to serve him no matter what he says. You are responsible only to fulfill the assignment or assignments that Jesus has given you. That's it. And let me just tell you this. When you do that, your confidence grows. Your confidence grows. Now, no matter what you're doing, now you know, no matter how big or small or complex or, or simple, your confidence is just like Paul's. And you say, I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing because I heard from Jesus. Don't need to hear from anybody else. Don't need to evaluate my effectiveness. I'm doing what he told me to do. Which leads me to the, the, the third final decision, the final one that he makes. Decision three, he chose captivity to the kingdom of Jesus over captivity to fear. And I think this is really important. Um, in fact, this week I was inspired by um, something my friend and fellow pastor here at B4, Steve Mitchell, something that he wrote. And um, it was just so beautiful. And I, I, I just wanted to, to read it to you because he said this and he's talking about this passage. He said, what was important to Paul was not the comfort and good fortune of the man, Saul of Tarsus, but the witnessing, preaching, and teaching of Paul, the captive love slave of Christ. Any of Paul's earthly captivities were subsumed by a more compelling capture, that of his heart by the grace of God in Christ. Our own captivity to hardship and loss can likewise take on a completely different context if viewed through the lens Paul offers his friends, the Ephesian elders. How might we be faith-filled apostles from the first day of a pandemic or an economic downturn or raging wildfires or you fill in the blank? We were discussing this and, and then we said probably five different times, you can't be held captive by anything when you are captivated by the kingdom of Jesus. You can't be. You can't be held captive by anything, including fear, when you are captivated with the gospel of Jesus, with the kingdom of Jesus. It's impossible. Nothing else can take you captive. And we see that with Paul. You know, in Jesus' own words, he said the kingdom of God is near. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. He said the kingdom of God is being revealed. In everything that Jesus says about his kingdom, it, he indicates that it is available in the middle of this mess. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of firestorms, in the middle of, of pandemics, his kingdom is available. That There's a parallel reality that is bigger and is more profound than this one. And our awakening to that reality sets us free from the worries and the fears of this reality. It's that simple. It puts it all in perspective. Folks, we need to address something in this moment. Fear is running through our culture like a raging wildfire. And it's not just wildfires they are creating fear. 
the, the visceral reactions, the emotional responses that we're seeing in every corner of our culture, it reveals this rampant fear that people are feeling. And remember, we have two responses to fear. We either fight or we flight, right? We either fight or we run away. There's a lot of the first one happening, and there's not a lot of the second one that's allowed right now, so we have more fighting going on, right? A lot of people that want to flight can't flight, so they just fight. That's what's happening right now. But, but let me just remind you of this. In the spirit, we have a third option. We don't have to fight. We don't have to flight. We actually can choose freedom. And I know some of you are saying, but, but what about this? What, I mean, what, what if, and you start playing out your fears, or what if this thing happens, or what if that thing happens, or what if culture moves this way? What if society goes that way? And let me just say this to you. If that's where you're going in this moment, can we look at Paul's life? He knew what was awaiting him in Jerusalem. He knew it was uncertain. He knew it would be painful even. He knew his rights would be violated. And yet this passage closes with people walking him to the ship. And based on his character, the only thing I can imagine is just Paul standing there on the guardrail, just kind of waving at everybody as he sails off to a, an uncertain, unfortunate destiny. And you go, well, how, how is that possible? He was captivated by the gospel. He was captivated by the kingdom of Jesus. And he lived with this awareness. There's another kingdom, and it's so much bigger and so much more important than this kingdom. And it doesn't matter what's waiting me. I cannot be captivated by anything because I'm captivated with the gospel. This week, I, I sort of incidentally ran into the friend of a friend um, who lost her house and her job last week because of fires. And uh, she was in a friend's backyard, and I didn't know. I, I walked in, I saw her, and immediately, my first question, I just, I said, how are you doing? And she just looked at me, smiled, and she goes, I'm fine. <laughs> Not the response I expected. You know, she said, I'm doing all right. And, and then I just immediately, I said, well, you know, like people know the answer to this already, but I just looked at her and I said, what are you going to do? And she said, you know, I have no idea, but I'm going to be okay. And, and, and I was stunned in that moment, but then I thought about it later. I thought, well, why should I be? She's a woman who's captivated by the kingdom. And so she can't be held captive by anything else, even losing her house and her job. She just goes, I don't know, we'll figure it out. But I'm okay. I'm fine in this. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that every one of us that's in the room right now and everybody that's watching this, imagine if we began to live as people who could say, I am where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm okay with my future no matter what the outcome that's what Jesus offers us. That's what Jesus offers you, that sort of certainty. And I think if we lived that way, it might actually turn the world upside down or right side up, depending how you look at it. So right now, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And, uh, and I want to encourage you right now just to stay tuned. Don't, don't unwind this right now. Don't, don't hit the pause. Don't walk away. I want you to just hang in this moment with us. Because I want you to evaluate whether or not you have made those three decisions. Have you decided to live a God-guided life? Have you made the decision to be a servant and not the master? And have you decided to be captivated with the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus more than anything else? I think this next song and this opportunity is gonna give you a chance to reflect. And I just encourage you to join me and let's let this word sink into our heart.
Jesus, you don't owe me 